We are glad that you're here. If this is your first time, just want you to know that we are going through um, what we're calling the story. It's 31 weeks of looking at the major narratives of the Bible. Uh, we're looking at the upper story where God is trying to get the seed line, Jesus, the Messiah, born. But there's this uh, lower story that keeps trying to get in the way to prevent that from happening. But our God is alive, our God is well, our God is on the throne, and God will even take our mess-ups and our mistakes to keep us on target. And you know Israel and Judah made a lot of mistakes. And as you watch Israel's history, they went through this repeating cycle where uh, they got into the promised land, they began enjoying that land flowing with milk and honey, and they got so caught up with the blessing that they forgot about the blessor. Have you ever done that? And, and the blessing became a distraction, and they got their eye off of God. And inevitably, they would start to worship idols. Idol worship was their downfall. And God can't put up with that, spiritual adultery, and so he would discipline them. They would repent and cry out to God for help, and then, of course, God would restore them, because our God's a loving God. And then they would find peace for a number of years, but then they would slowly but surely drift away and get right back into that cycle. And that cycle repeated again and again and again until finally they wanted a king, and so God gave them what they wanted. They got a Saul, tall king, first of all, the, the kings of Israel. He was a man that didn't get God, didn't understand God's ways. And then God raised up a David who was a man after God's own heart. Perfect man? No, but boy, he understood God. He and God really got it. And then David dies, and he has a son named Solomon, and Solomon builds the temple. And I mean, these are the glory days of Israel are just blooming under Solomon's reign. But Solomon, although he loved God and worshiped God, he married 700 wives. And these 700 wives had idols, and he had a divided heart. And he, yes, he would worship God, but then he also worshiped those idols. And God says, because you've got a divided heart, I'm going to divide your kingdom. And you know the story of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And um, God still loved the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had ten tribes known as Israel. The southern kingdom had two tribes known as Judah and God would send messengers, or we might call them prophets, to try to woo uh, the northern kingdom back to them. But the northern kingdom had these 19 kings, and every single one of them was bad. Everyone did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and God was patient, and he would send prophets like Elijah and Hosea. We looked at those guys last week over a 208-year period of time. And if we recall, we kind of closed up with Hosea's story. We didn't spend a lot of time on it. But Hosea was representative of who? God. And God, God loved Israel. And God says, Hosea, marry this woman named Go Gomer who will represent Israel. God, Hosea represents God. Gomer represented Israel. And Israel became unfaithful to Hosea the prophet. And that's exactly what happened with Gomer. She became unfaithful, and this kingdom gets divided. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. Here's sort of a map of the divided kingdom. And uh, God raised up 
an evil king from the Assyrians by the name of Sennacherib. Sennacherib came down because of Israel's idol worship and took them into captivity. And he spread them all over. He didn't put them in one centralized place because he didn't want them to rise up again. So he spreads them out. These guys became known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. They will never come back together again. You say, well, wait a second. Wasn't the Assyrian king Sennacherib an evil guy too? Absolutely. But you know what? God will often use even a more evil nation than his own to discipline his children to get them back in line. And that's what's happening here at this time in the history of Israel. The year was 722 when this took place. And we read this in 2 Kings 17.7. All this took place. Why? Because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Years and years and years. That was eons ago. But it was still true, right? They worshipped other gods. They worshipped idols. Though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah though all, through all of his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and, and decrees and, and, and in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey. That I deliver, um, demands um, of your fathers that I obey, that I delivered to you through my servant, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. So the Lord was angry, of course, with Israel and removed them from his presence. There's a lesson there. There's a tremendous lesson there. Israel, the ten tribes are in the north. Where's Judah? Down here in the south. King Sennacherib comes and takes them into captivity. But who's watching all this down here in the south? King Hezekiah. Good King Hezekiah is watching all this, and he does a little house cleaning because he doesn't want what happened to them to happen to him. Parents, there's a lesson here for you too. Every single one of us, there's a lesson here for. Have you ever learned by watching somebody else make a mistake and then you didn't have to repeat it? That's a whole lot easier, isn't it? See, you're going to go through life and you don't have time to make all the mistakes yourself, so you need to learn from the lessons of others. Perhaps uh, you've seen someone who was irresponsible with their money. And uh, maybe that even led to bankruptcy. They never learned anything about delayed gratification. And, uh, you know, they'll pray to God for it. And if God doesn't provide it, they get out the uh, idol called the credit card. And cha-ching, swipe that thing. And then that credit card leads to more debt and more debt and more debt. You know, um, I think there's something called uh, uh, shopaholics. And, and I heard something, of, this true story. It is good, good advice for a shopaholic. If, that, if that's you and you watch those uh, home shopping clubs and you see that thing on TV that you think you can't get, do without, here's a good suggestion. You take your credit card and you put it in a Tupperware bowl and you fill it with water and then you stick that in the freezer. 
and let it get to be a block of ice. And then when you watch that thing on television, you think you just have to have it. Now what do you got to do? You got to take that out, wait till it thaws, and by that time it's no longer on the TV, or that compulsion to spin is now dissipated. But we can learn from those that have overspent. We can learn from those that maybe didn't put the time and the investment into their marriage and it ended in divorce. You don't want that to happen to you. Learn from the lesson of others. Some of you kids are saying, you know, my parents, their parenting skills aren't all that great. Okay, learn from the lesson of your parents. And you do the things that the biblical principles are talking about. Good King Hezekiah was watching all this take place up north. And he says, you know what? We're going to get rid of our idols. We're going to tear down the high places. We're going to get rid of all these altars to other gods. And we're going to worship the one, the true, the only God, the real God that brought us out of Egypt. He learned that lesson. And you know who was right on the doorstep of Jerusalem? King Sennacherib. King Sennacherib, the same Assyrian king that took Israel into captivity, is now coming south to take Judah into captivity. But you know, Hezekiah's done some house cleaning. He's learned a lesson. And he's learned also to turn to God for his problems. And so, number two, the southern kingdom of Judah is now under siege, if you will. And, and the thing you need to know about the south is they were ruled by good kings and bad kings. The northern kingdom didn't have one single good king, not one at all. There were about five good kings in the south, 38 kings in all in both kingdoms, but only five were any good, and they were all southern kings. And the best of the best was this good king Hezekiah. And I want us to see this morning what made him such a good king. He trusted in God even though he was challenged by King Sennacherib of Assyria. We read his story in 2 Kings 18 verse 2. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was, what's the next word folks? Right. Ooh, I like that. Perfect? No. God's never had a perfect person to work with. But he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. Either before him or after him, he held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. You know what I love about King Hezekiah? His trust wasn't in himself. His confidence wasn't in his goodness. His confidence was who? In God. That's where his confidence was. And we can learn from that. Uh, King Hezekiah receives a question from King uh, Sennacherib. And King Sennacherib sends a letter to Hezekiah and the people that are sieged in Jerusalem and says, on what are you basing your confidence? And I want to ask you that question this morning. You know, this is a pretty rough life that we live. Earth is just kind of getting us prepared for heaven. And you're going to have some good times, you're going to have some bad times, and you're going to feel like you're under siege. And you're going to feel like you're about to go right under and sink. And I ask you this morning, 
on what are you basing your confidence? That's the question that Hezekiah was asked by Sennacherib. The scene is this. Judah is surrounded by the Assyrian army. At least 185,000 of them. I'll tell you why in a moment. And, um, and no one's going out to play, okay? You're stuck in there. When you're under siege and you've got an army surrounding your city, uh, j- just imagine you're at home and 185,000 troops just surround your house and the only thing you have is a BB gun, all right? You're in trouble, okay? There's, there's no going out to play. You're stuck in there. You're going down. And that's sort of the case for Judah. And King Hezekiah knows he's in trouble. But he also knows there's a God up above. King Sennacherib sends a message not, through one of his field commanders. 2 Kings eighteen nineteen. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? And then he gives them a couple of options. We won't take time to read it all. He says, well, you may be basing your confidence in Egypt. Well, let me just tell you something about Egypt. They are nothing more than a splintering staff. You try to put any weight on them, it's just going to fall apart. Or you can put your trust in your God... But hey, didn't you have ten brothers in the north that had the same God? And look what I did to them. You feeling kind of down now, right about this moment? Egypt's not going to help you. I can snap them like a twig. And your God, the one you claim to believe in, I just took out your ten brothers, had the same God. And then the trash talk really begins. And he just lays it on thick in this huge letter. Well, King Hezekiah knows that the people have heard the message. They heard the letter. And he wants to bring some confidence in the folks. He doesn't want them down. He doesn't want them to be discouraged. And so it says this in 2 Chronicles 32, 7. Be strong and what? Courageous. You try that with 185,000 troops outside your house. But that's exactly the right answer. That's exactly what we're supposed to do when we find ourselves in an impossible situation. Is that the time to panic or is that the time to pray? We are supposed to have confidence in our God. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of the stuff. Get rid of the distractions and focus on God. Take your problem to the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria. And the vast army. He admits it's a vast army. For there is a greater power with us than with him. Now, you know from the lower story, it doesn't look like it, does it? I mean, when your house is surrounded by 185,000 troops, it doesn't look like you've got a greater power than them. But that's the reality. We've got to keep our eyes focused on what? The upper story. Because remember, the Messiah is going to come through who? The tribe of Judah. And if Judah gets wiped out, then no Messiah and therefore no salvation. But God has a plan. There's always an upper story. Don't focus on the lower story. Focus on the upper story. With him, our God is the only arm. Uh, with him is the only, their God is the arm of flesh. But with us, the Lord our God, to help us and to fight our battles. 
And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Parents, when you're going through a hard time, maybe you lose a job. Maybe there's a physical illness. Call a family meeting and gather around and say, you know, here's the facts, here's the reality. But I don't want you kids to be afraid. I want you to put your confidence in the Lord. All hold hands and have a prayer. Isn't that a whole lot better than instilling fear and trembling in your kids? you want your kids to be fearful or do you want your kids to be faithful? You teach that early by showing confidence in the same God who helped out King Hezekiah. Teach that to your kids. Well, King Sennacherib, he's, he's, he's still not finished um, talking trash. He says this in 2 Chronicles 32. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence? That you remain in Jerusalem under siege. Didn't I tell you, just come on out, surrender, wave the white flag, and, you know, yeah, I'll take you captive, but, you know, I won't slaughter y'all. When Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. And you know what? I imagine some of the folks were hungry, and some of the folks were thirsty when they're hearing these words. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? What's the answer to that? No. When we went in, we conquered their nation and we conquered their God. Were they able to flee? Nope. We took care of all of them. So what is he doing? He's trying to instill fear, panic, and intimidation in God's people. How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now, do not let Hezekiah... De- deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand. Now that's true. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Now that's false. Now if the truth be known, we too can become afraid and intimidated. Amen? We get fearful. We become afraid. And the devil tries to intimidate us. But that's not the time to fear. That's the time to show faith. That's not the time to panic. That's the time to pray. Paul says, um, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Don't fear. And, And Satan will use intimidation tactics uh, not only against Christians, individuals, but institutions like Christian colleges and universities, like Christian churches throughout the land. And I believe one of the intimidation tactics that Satan is currently using on his Christian organizations is to try to create some fear in our position on what marriage is. You and I know from reading the book that marriage is a holy institution between a man and a woman, right? But what if the government comes along and says, well, you know what, I don't think you should be teaching that anymore in your Christian universities 
Because if you do, this university is going to lose its tax-exempt status. I think that's where they're going to start. And then they're going to move to the church. You know what? And once you, the church loses its tax-exempt status, you know, uh, we're going to be intimidated if we allow that to happen. But I don't want that to happen. It doesn't say that has to happen. I think that's the plan to happen. Just like it was Sennacherib's plan to lay waste to Jerusalem. But you know what? That never happened under Sennacherib. And it doesn't have to happen to us either if we do what? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. We don't have to fear. We are not that far gone. Now that's the tactic of the devil to say, well, it's inevitable. You're just too far gone. Uh, This is too far gone for God to fix your marriage, some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, my finances are just too far gone for God to be able to fix my finances. My health issue is too far gone for God to be able to fix my, my health issues. Or this addiction has just got me, it's just too powerful for God to do anything. Just as the people of Hezekiah's day could have said, Jerusalem is too far gone. Look at that vast army out there. Don't you believe that? From the lower story right now, your life may look too far gone for God to fix it in your mind. But always look to the upper story. The upper story says nothing is too far gone. It's, it's time not to fear, but it's time to pray. King Hezekiah responds, and uh, here's how he does it. He grabs Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, let's, let's get over there to the, to, the, to the temple and let's do a little praying. And, um, and that's what he and Isaiah do. They, they take that letter written by Sennacherib, and they lay it out there in the temple, and then they begin to pray over that. Second Chronicles 32.20, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah cried out in prayer to heaven about this. Chapter 19.15, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. I love his prayer. Oh, Lord. If you have a hard time praying for help, use this as your model. O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Even when it looks like the other side's winning, all right? Because right then, in his eyes, what's he seeing? The other side's winning, but he says, no, you alone. I love that part of his prayer. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian king kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were no gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. I love that. Notice where the focus of this prayer is. Is it on Hezekiah or is it on God? It's on God. He's not saying, God, make me, Hezekiah, real strong, and let me go out there and wipe these guys all out. He's saying, no, God, you prove yourself strong. You fight this battle. We are helpless. We just got a BB gun. That's it. If, if this is going to be won, it's going to be won by you. And that's why we're crying out to you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's a good prayer. 
And that's exactly what he prayed. Don't make me strong. You prove yourself strong. And so I ask you again this morning, on what are you basing your confidence? Your strength or God's strength? Mine's going to be on the Lord. And then finally God speaks. We finally see God's response. We see King Sennacherib's response. We see Hezekiah's response and Isaiah's response. And now we see God respond. 2 Kings 19.35, that night the angel, the angel. Do you see the word angels? Do you see plurality there? No, singular, one angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and eighty-five thousand men in the Assyrian camp. Wow. Now that's power. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all these dead bodies. And so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. I would too, so would you. Yeah, of course he does. What's he going to do? He's just lost his army. God, with one word, sends an angel. An angel takes out the entire army. Or at least most of it. I love that song in the Bible. Jesus is on a cross. He's hanging there. This is the picture. I love our songwriters because they, the, they have the concept of the word. They understand the word. And then they write songs. And Jesus is hanging on that cross, suffering for us. Remember that song? He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But instead, what did he do? He stayed on the cross for you and me. If one angel could do this, one word out of Jesus' mouth, Michael! And he'd have been off that cross, but he stayed up there for us. Look at this next picture. Go ahead and put the Taylor prism on the screen case. You know what that is? They call it the Taylor prism because the archaeologists that found it discovered it. They named it after him. That is King Sennacherib's war history. Whenever a king would conquer another nation, they would kind of like etch that in stone and they would brag about themselves. And I went over to this nation and I conquered them and their gods went down and I became, you know, even stronger, more powerful. That's his history. That's his military record on there. And you read all of his conquests, all of these huge battles, all of his victories. But you know what? When you come to this scene right here where he comes down from Assyria and he surrounds the city of Jerusalem, you know all it says there on that stone? Just these words. I shut up King Hezekiah like a caged bird in Jerusalem in the royal city. Big deal. Hezekiah couldn't take a walk for a while, all right? But it never says he destroyed and conquered Jerusalem, does it? He ran home like a scared dog with his tail between his legs. That's my God. That's your God. And he's on our side. We just need to get rid of the idols. We need to learn the lesson. Follow him completely is the plan. 2 Kings 18.7 says, And the Lord was with Hezekiah, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. 
2 Chronicles 32 says something like it. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come upon them during the days of who? Hezekiah. All it takes is one good man doing things God's way to bring deliverance to a nation, to bring deliverance to a church, to bring deliverance to a family, to bring deliverance to a person. But then Hezekiah dies. Bummer, but we all die. And he has a son named Manasseh who was rotten to the core. And everything that good King Hezekiah tore down, ungodly King Manasseh built up again. He was the worst of all the kings. And then I read these words, 2 Chronicles 33.1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began, 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Are you kidding me? A 55-year reign of an evil king, and don't you know, Jerusalem this time is going down. They have got to learn the lesson. And so God sends Isaiah now to Manasseh. Isaiah was contemporary with um, Hezekiah, but also Manasseh. And he tells them, God's not going to use the Assyrians anymore because the Babylonians have now taken over the Assyrians. The Babylonians are the new uh, kid on the street. They're the strong military. Uh, Nebo Pilaser had a son named Nebuchadnezzar. And in 605 BC, he takes out the first wave of exile from the city of Jerusalem. And God sends this message through Isaiah that the Babylonians are going to become a tool of judgment in God's hands. Judah is going to go down just like Israel. And they will go into captivity, but they will come out purified. Sometimes you need the discipline of the hand of God before you get purified. And because you see, the people were putting their trust in the fact that they were Judah. Hey, the seed line's coming through Judah. Nothing can happen to us. God says, you know what? You may think that in your lower story, but I can have Judah wiped out and still take care of this. I will bring Judah back. Judah will be purified and a Messiah will come. And 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah provides us a little character sketch of what the Messiah would be like. Isaiah 53. Open your Bibles there with me. We haven't done this in a while. I didn't put it on the screen. Isaiah 53. Let's start with verse 4. You got it? Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he took up our affirmities, and he carried our sorrows, Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then on down to verse 11. 
And verse 11 really sums it up. What verse 11 is talking about, it, it's really a word picture. Jesus died on a little hill called Calvary. And verse 11 is sort of a picture of God looking down from heaven and seeing Mount Calvary and His only begotten hanging on that cross in agony. And it says that God will see the travail of His soul, the suffering of His soul, and with that He will be satisfied. Satisfied for what? Your sins, my sins, will be satisfied. Payment in full by the suffering Messiah that Isaiah talked about some 700 years before he even went to the cross. God's greatest act on earth was not to destroy Sennacherib's army. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God's greatest act was to take our pain, our suffering, our sorrows, and our sin into His body. Amen? That was His greatest act on earth. Taking out one little army was no big deal for God. Hezekiah won a great victory that day because he placed his confidence in God. And so I close by asking you this question one more time this morning. On what are you basing your confidence? Are you basing your confidence in our government? In our military? In your bank account? In your own strength? In your own wisdom? In your own might? Well, you know what? You're going to be in for a whole lot of sleepless nights if that's where your confidence is. But if your confidence is in the Lord, if your confidence is in His strength, then you'll learn to live by the power of the cross and you will gain eternal life and you'll live with God forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we as a church at Cross Point this morning all want to step up and say that we, from this day forward, are going to place our confidence in You. Even when it looks like the other side's winning. Even when we're surrounded by circumstances that it looks like there's no way out. Even when the odds are against us, we're going to place our confidence in You. Father, and our confidence is in the power of the cross that Jesus died for us. And if there's one here today, Father, that doesn't know You, may they come to know You this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and sing.